Life involves making journeys. Now I want to start by giving you a short quiz about your journeys. And don't expect any prizes. Okay, now the first journey took place on the 20th of July, 1969. Does anyone know what journey took place on the 20th of July, 1969. David Wilson. Spawn. Well done. Four, <laughs> four days earlier, a team of astronauts on Apollo 11 left Kennedy Space Center in Florida. And that was to be the start of a 238,000 mile trip to the moon. An important journey for humankind. As Neil Armstrong famously said, in taking his first steps on the moon, that's one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. Now the second journey took place on the 16th September 1999. Does anyone know what journey took place on the 16th, of, uh, the 16th of September, 1999. No one. Not a single person. It was my wedding day. <laughs> How could you not know that? <laughs> and, and that was an important personal journey for me. I had taken a much shorter journey to Whitewell Metropolitan Tabernacle in Belfast. Why? Because I was going to marry my wife, Alison. And that journey still has a major impact in my life. And if you really want to borrow the wedding video, <laughs> just ask me. It'll cost you. But perhaps the saddest journey of all, many of us may have made, is walking to the side of a grave to bury a loved one. And this journey can make us think, what is life all about? Is there any meaning to life? Why am I here on this planet Earth? Two thousand years ago, two men were on a journey. And these two men were followers of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And on this journey, they were asking big questions about life. Jesus, the leader, had just been crucified. And what a change that brought. They had so many hopes, dreams and ambitions. But all these seemed to have gone away, now that Jesus had died. And so now they were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And just like we ask questions, when things don't seem to work out, these two individuals were asking big questions about life. However, this was going to be no ordinary journey. On this journey, they were going to have a life-changing encounter with the risen and the victorious Lord Jesus Christ. You see, as they were walking along to Emmaus, Jesus comes and joins them. But here's the thing. 
they don't yet know it was him. It was going to be a journey into life. And we see what happens in Luke chapter 24. And of all the four Gospels, it's only Luke that tells us the story of this walk to Emmaus. So we're going to look and see what actually happens on this journey. And we're going to think about what this journey into life means for us in our own lives. What does it mean for me? But before we do that, let's first pray and ask for God's help. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the amazing story of Easter. And we thank you for your word. We do pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would help us to understand what it means to be on a journey into life. For we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. These two individuals are about to embark on a journey into life. And it's a journey which involves three crucial changes in our lives. Firstly, there's a change of mind. There's a change from doubt to discovery. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel as though some things are just too good to be true? For example, we sometimes get to the post an invitation to spend a weekend at a very nice hotel on the shore of Loch Lomond at a huge discount. It sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds brilliant. Until you realise the deal is that you agree to sit through a long sales talk about one of their timeshare deals. It's not so great. It is too good to be true. And that was the same for these disciples. Now imagine just for a minute that you are one of these two disciples and you had spent the past three years following Jesus. You saw him spend time with the sick and the rejected. You saw amazing things that could not be explained, such as people being healed. However, Jesus has just died on a cross and you had seen that with your own eyes. But now there were these fantastic claims that he had somehow risen from the dead. So how could this possibly be true? And that's what these two men thought. If you look at verse 22, we read what they told Jesus, who they still did not recognise. They said, Some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as women had said, but him they did not see. In one word, they were perplexed. Peter and some others had been to the tomb, and it was just as they had been told. Jesus was nowhere to be seen. But how could this be? Everyone knew that people did not rise from the dead. And that was the case for Lee Strobel. He was an award-winning journalist for the Chicago Tribune. And he was a spiritual skeptic. He didn't believe in God, or the resurrection of Jesus, or anything else like that. You see, 
Hadn't science shown that these things didn't happen? However, that was about to change. On this journey into life, we make an amazing discovery. Now, there are two parts to our discovery. Firstly, we examine the evidence. Okay? In other words, is it true? What does the Bible actually say about Jesus? And can we really believe in these claims? And that's what happened here. Jesus showed them from the Bible what was said about him many years before. If you look at verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Okay, let's go back to Lee Strobel. Now here's a smart guy. He was a journalist with a top newspaper. And he had a law degree from Yale University. So he wasn't naive. He wasn't like Dougal and Father Ted. It's a great picture, isn't it? And here's what he did. He examined the evidence. Intellectually, what was he to make of all this? This is what he found. Listen to this. The whole Christian faith hinges on whether Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead. No resurrection, no Christianity. The disciples said that they saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. They knew whether or not they were lying. There was no way this could have been a hallucination or mistake. And if they were lying, would they willingly allow themselves to be killed for what they knew to be false? He examined the evidence. And get this, this atheist became a Christian. And he wrote a book, The Case for Christ. And it is a brilliant book to read if you're exploring the evidence for Jesus Christ. But most of all, read the Bible. Start in one of the Gospels, like this Gospel, Luke's Gospel, and find out what it says about Jesus. So we examine the evidence. And secondly, our eyes are opened. In verse 31 we read, Their eyes were opened, and they recognised him. Now here's the amazing thing. When someone becomes a Christian, a miracle takes place. You see, as we seek God, God in his grace, in his kindness, opens our spiritual eyes to the truth of Jesus Christ. For example, what is the first thing we do when there's a power cut at night? Well, we panic. But... <laughs> But then what do we do? We, we light a candle or we get a torch so we can see. And God shines a light so that we can see. And that's what happened to Lee Strobel. He asked God to help him see. This is what he said. He's very honest. I figured, what's the downside? So I prayed along these lines. God, I don't even believe you're there. But if you are, I want to find you. I really do want to know the truth. So if you exist, please show yourself to me. And that prayer revolutionized his entire life. And maybe, just maybe, that's where you're at tonight. Maybe you don't yet know God personally. 
But you are genuinely seeking after God. But listen to this promise from God. Listen to what God says. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So there's a change of mind. This journey involves making an incredible discovery. And secondly, it leads to a change of emotion. There's a change from despair to delight. If you look at verse 17, Jesus came and asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And notice something. They just couldn't hide their emotions. We read, they stood still, their faces downcast. Why? Jesus had just died. Now, if you are over 40 tonight, and don't think we have to raise your hands, you may be able to think back to the 22nd of November, 1963. And you may know exactly where you were when you heard the shocking news that President John F. Kennedy had been shot in Dallas, Texas. For millions of Americans, their leader was dead. And it was the same for these disciples. Jesus had tragically been killed. In verse 19, if you look down, we see what they had really hoped for in Jesus. Here's what they said. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deeds, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Now here's what they had hoped for. That he would set the nation of Israel, Israel free from the Romans. But look at this hope now. It had been cruelly nailed to a cross in Jerusalem. And total despair consumed their lives. They could echo the title of Bob Geldof's autobiography. Is that it? And they must have been asking big questions about life. Such as, what on earth am I here for? Does life have any meaning? Where is my life going? Do you ever ask questions like that? But notice, their despair was to change to delight. As we saw on their journey into life, they had made an amazing discovery. Jesus is alive. He has risen. Wonderful. And notice the change in their lives. In verse 32 we read, Were not our hearts burning within us? Will he talk with us on the road and open the scriptures to us? On their journey into life, they had a personal encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And their lives would never be the same again. Someone who knew what this meant was John Wesley, the famous preacher in the 18th century. And this is what John Wesley wrote in his journal about his own encounter with Christ on the 24th of May, 1738. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street, where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, listen to what he says, 
I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And you know, we can delight in many things in life. For example, next month, I'll be going to St. Andrews University. Why? Because I am being examined on my PhD. And if I pass, I'll be very happy. And I'll be having a very big party. And you're all invited. We just have it here actually next Sunday. And I am sure that people in Wales tonight are still rejoicing. Must be. Why? Because last weekend, Wales somehow, (laughs) sorry if you're Welsh, managed to win their first Grand Slam rugby championship since 1978. And next time, everyone knows, it'll be Scotland. Thank you. That's what what you call faith. (laughs) Or wishful thinking. But here's the reality. When someone has a personal encounter with the risen and triumphant Lord Jesus Christ, there's a whole new depth to their joy and delight. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. So this journey into life involves a change of mind and a change of emotion. And now finally, it involves a change of direction. There's a change from defeat into declaration. Now over this Easter break, many people are away on holiday overseas. And we are not jealous. But one of my best holidays was in Australia back in 1990 when I was 18 years old. And I went to Australia on a working holiday. And yes, I admit, I had watched Neighbours and Home and Away. And yes, I thought I would go to Oz and enjoy beach life. So here's what I did. I spent several weeks working as a bricklayer in Perth, Western Australia. And it was all good experience for being an assistant pastor at Charlotte Chapel. Now, I saved some money money up for, for a particular reason. And the reason was this. I had planned to go backpacking across the Nullarbor Desert from Perth to Adelaide. How silly can you get? And the thing to know about this desert is everything looks exactly the same. It does. Nullarbor means no trees. And it's just miles and miles and miles and miles and miles of desert sand. Like my notes. Okay. <laughs> and for me, and believe me, it would have been the easiest thing in the world to go in the wrong direction. And for these two disciples, they're going the wrong direction. But notice, it wasn't accidental. It was deliberate. You see, they were on a one-way ticket away from Jerusalem to Emmaus in defeat. And all their enthusiasm and commitment had gone away. Jesus had just died. But that was very quickly about to change. They're about to meet the risen Lord Jesus Christ. 
just as the angel had said to the woman at the tomb. He is not here. He has risen. Death has been swallowed up in victory. The tomb was empty. And Jesus is alive tonight. And so their defeat was to change into declaration. If you look at verse 33, we see what happens next. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. So what happened? They had rushed back to Jerusalem to get their story out. They have the most amazing news in the world. It's like when the Berlin Wall fell. On the 9th of November, 1989, the gates along the, along the Berlin Wall were opened. And it was amazing news. This 28-mile concrete barrier was finally about to be demolished. And these disciples want everyone to know their truly incredible news. They have met the risen Jesus. He is no longer dead. The tomb was empty. He is not here. He has risen. And here's what that means. The barrier of our sin between us and God has been dealt with. And it was symbolised by the tearing of the curtain in the temple the day Jesus died on a cross. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And you and I can now be reconciled with God. And it's for one reason only. It's all because of God's impeccable Son. The risen, the victorious, and the exalted Lord Jesus Christ. And he stands utterly supreme. And that is the amazing story of Easter. It is the life-changing story of Easter. What looked like a tragedy was all part of God's eternal plan. As Jesus says in verse 26, if you look down, these things have to be. John Piper writes in his book, The Passion of Jesus Christ, There is no greater sin than to hate and kill the Son of God. There was no greater suffering nor any greater innocence than the suffering and innocence of Christ. Yet God was in it all. So here's the question for us. How will you respond to the risen Lord Jesus Christ? Is he a reality in your life? Tonight, Grace McVicker and Rebecca Sprott, just to embarrass them, are being baptised. And that will happen very shortly. And here's what they're doing. They're declaring to the world that they have both personally responded to God. They have put their complete trust in the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. And they are on a journey into life. So let me ask you, what journey are you on tonight? And maybe you're not sure if you're on this journey into life. And maybe you'd like to be sure. 
Well, as you leave tonight, you'll find a booklet in the stairwell. And it's called, believe it or not, Journey into Life. Do take one. And it'll tell you more about this journey. It's free. And there is nothing in the world more important. For it's a journey that goes on forever. Let's pray.